The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. verses 5 through 20, uh, but want to start in verse 1 this evening. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you know that we have been walking through the Old Testament, uh, looking through the history of the people of Israel, and now we're diving into the prophetic writings. And the goal is that we understand more so the context of what was going on in the nation of Israel when these men wrote the words that God gave them to write. Uh, it's easy to read the prophets uh, from our perspective today and not have a clue why they're writing the words that they're writing, especially a passage like we're going to look at uh, tonight that deals with a lot of uh, words of judgment and to wonder what in the world is, is God speaking about, what's going on in that day and age, why is this written the way that it is written, and we'll never understand how it applies to us today until we understand it in light of how it was originally written, uh, why it was originally written. And so just to catch you up to where we are in the book of Habakkuk, <coughs> excuse me, Habakkuk is a man of God, a prophet of God. And he's looking out at his day and age at the, the people who were around him in the, in the promised land, in the city of Jerusalem even, in the nation of Judah, that southern kingdom of, of Israel. And he sees as he looks at the people of God such wickedness, such immorality, such injustice that's being committed and the, the strong overtaking the weak and the judges were being bribed and the, the preachers and prophets were preaching and prophesying according to who would pay them the most money. It was a, a wicked, wicked day and age as, as we've seen evidenced by the testimonies of so many other prophets even that came around that same time as Habakkuk. And he looks out at the culture and he knows who God is, who is good and holy and just and righteous. And he, he has been crying out for we don't know how long, but an extended period of time. Lord, will you, will you come down and fix this mess? God, when are you going to make things right? God, when are you going to put an end to all the wickedness that's so prevalent all around me? And honestly, we look at our world today, and as a believer, if you know the God of the Scriptures, the one true living God, and you have any heart after Him, you look to the world around you today, and, and you kind of would feel the same way if you, you're rightly thinking about it. You wonder, Lord, how long? How long can so many make a mockery of you, and so many turn right upside down? You, you just watch the news or open up any website, uh, any news website, and all the majority of the headlines, it seems, are just dealing with moral issues that that the, the Word of God has just been twisted. Even a, a secular understanding of normal right and wrong things has been totally, totally twisted, totally perverted. And, and now you're narrow-minded and bigoted and archaic to simply hold to the truths of God's Word. And we look at this, and in a way we, we can easily identify with, with Habakkuk in verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry out and you will not hear? God, how long is all of this going to be going on until you make it right? And then we think about it applied personally, individually to our own lives and our own instances of suffering. And there's many times in our own lives personally where things happen and they aren't what we thought should happen. They come unexpected. All the things we'd rather not go through in this broken life that we live. And, and if you haven't been there, you'll be there soon. You wonder, Lord, why? Lord, how long? 
uh, do I go through this? Why is this come upon me? What in the world is this serving any purpose for? Um, and, and we are right to turn to God, as Habakkuk did, and cry out to the Lord regarding the burdens of our heart as we experience the brokenness of this life. Habakkuk gets an answer from the Lord, only it's not an answer that he liked. God said, I'm doing a work that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. And then he goes forward to tell them. Uh, He's saying, I'm going to raise the Babylonians up. The Assyrians were the dominant power in Habakkuk's day and age. The Assyrians were the biggest threat, the biggest ones who were taking over all the other nations and plundering them. And God says, you know what, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians to overtake uh, the Assyrians. And the Babylonians are actually going to come in and overtake the southern kingdom of of, uh, Israel as well. And in in Habakkuk, the portion of scripture we looked at last week is even more confused now god how can you use a people more evil than we are to be an instrument of judgment upon the assyrians and upon us your people Uh, the answer of god didn't bring him much comfort intellectually because he couldn't see the big picture and god says i'm going to judge the babylonians don't don't worry they will be judged for their wickedness as well But in all of this and through all of it, what we're seeing is Habakkuk doesn't see the big picture of God's work. But as we saw through Isaiah and through other prophets even, God is at work to draw His people back unto Himself. God is at work to bring His people to an awareness, an understanding of the severity of their sin. Of the fact that they can't go on living in the way that they're living in their, their rebellion against God and their idolatry and their wickedness, living just like the pagan peoples that don't know God. God is at work through all of this dreadful judgment even that is coming upon Israel to bring an ultimate good end. To ultimately even lead to the suffering servant of the Lord who would come to redeem and restore and renew. And there's intermixed in all of these writings we've looked to, these promises of restoration, these promises of a new kingdom that's coming, of a a new Jerusalem. All of that just to give you the context of where we're diving into in chapter 2. Habakkuk received that answer from God. He was confused about it. And and yet God um, writes these words or tells these words to Habakkuk that we need to read right before we dive into what we'll dive into tonight. Look to verse 2. God answers a third time, Habakkuk, in chapter 2. Then the Lord answered and said, Write the vision, make it plain on the tablets, that he who runs may read it. In other words, make it big enough that even guys jogging by are going to see this thing and notice it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. That is the vision of the judgment that God was going to bring not only upon his people, but even upon the Babylonians, who would be the ones that come in to bring judgment upon the people of Israel. And then this key verse in the book of Habakkuk, and really throughout all the Scripture, in the New Testament we saw, it was quoted four different times, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That's the ultimate trajectory that this book is leading us to. The ultimate trajectory, really, that the Scriptures even lead us to throughout. The the, the just, the ones that are really following God, the ones that are made right by the grace of God, they're not made right by their works as if we can earn our justification before God. 
Uh, we're not made right by our intellect as if we can see all the workings of God and come to intellectually understand the God who is infinitely above us and beyond us. It's not by the mind. It's not by the, the will of our, our works that we can attain righteousness. No, it's by faith. That the, the just shall live by faith. That we come to God and receive salvation by faith by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then even we continue in our walk with the Lord, not by our eyes making sense of everything. Now, we don't leave the intellect behind as if we've got to take our brains out and, and then follow God blindly by faith alone. God gives us a brain for a reason. God gives us an intellect, and there's so much that our, our mind, as we study the Scripture and the Holy Spirit leads us to, to come to believe the truth of God's Word, our minds bolster our faith. There is good reason to the faith that we hold. But there are many things in life that happen. There are many situations, even as we look out in the world today, that we in our little peanut brains cannot figure out. We know the truth about God and who He is, but we look out and we see wickedness seemingly triumphing, and we see those that are doing wrong seemingly being more blessed than those who are following the ways of God. And at many times we say, Lord, I don't understand. That's when God says we walk by faith, not by sight. And applying it personally, it gets all the more real when things happen in our lives where we really thought God was doing this or doing that and opening up this door or, you know, bringing this blessing and all of a sudden cancer comes or a sickness comes or an unexpected death comes or a a door shuts that we thought was open. And and we we do step back and say, God, what is going on? God, I don't understand. We don't see the whole plan. We we see only in the moment, in the temporary just moment of our ability to comprehend what little bit we know. And that's when we're called, it says, remember this verse, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. After Habakkuk comes to this realization, God uses him in verses 5 through 20 to bring this oracle of judgment, this word of judgment upon the Babylonians. And I want us to quickly just look through it tonight. It is a portion of Scripture that if you were reading through the book of Habakkuk, you'd probably skim through and not give much thought to. And that is a shame, because if you do that, you'll miss two verses in it that are just jewels of verses that I want to draw out in conclusion. And you'll also miss, by these five woes that we're going to look to, good admonition, good lessons for us. You can learn from people's bad examples, right? You you can think of seeing people do dumb things, and you learn, I don't want to do that, because do dumb things get bad results. Like, I'm trying to ingrain that into my children. You, You do the wrong thing. It's not going to go well for you. You can learn by looking to the bad examples of others. Here we see God bringing accusation against the bad that was Babylon. I want us to see firstly, we'll just read through it as we walk through these points. First, notice a woe against extortion. Let's read from verse 5 and we'll read through verse 8. Indeed, because he transgressed by wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay home because he enlarges his desires as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. This is poetic imagery, descriptions being used to represent, to picture the might of, and really the insatiable conquering mentality of Babylon. 
The Babylonians were a people that conquered all peoples. And they were cruel and ruthless. And they were, as it says, even as hell enlarging and never ceasing to be enlarged. And even as death is never satisfied. All of this is very poetic language that Habakkuk is using. He says, Will not all of these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, All of these that are being plundered by Babylon, all of these that are being literally left in ruin by Babylon, he's saying, Someday will not the tides change and they create this riddle, they say this riddle. Woe to him. It's a proclamation of judgment. Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? Woe to him who takes what isn't his, who extorts to get things that they desire that aren't rightfully theirs, and they kill and they plunder to take it. And to him who loads himself with many pledges, he uses this imagery of even a creditor in pledges. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken uh, who oppress you? And you will become their booty Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. You know what he's basically saying here? What God says later, God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. And don't you realize if you've extorted all of these people, these nations will someday rise up against you. And that happens where Babylon eventually is defeated. That great empire comes to an end. And just as they plundered and and took from all the nations, uh, they were plundered and everything taken from them. The basic principle, God sees every injustice and will someday make them right. He will bring judgment upon every injustice. Even when the strong think they've gotten away with it, God is not deceived. We apply that to our life today, and and you know there's situations where people take advantage of other people, where people are extorting other people, and often we look out, and for the moment, the ones that are stronger, the ones that are richer, seem to be prospering because of it. You realize there's a God in heaven, right? They don't. Not right now. They will. They think they can get away with it. God says, no, I'm I'm not to be mocked. I, I am in the heavens and see it all. And God will judge. And every man will give an account of every idle word spoken. God calls us not to extort, but He calls us to the opposite, to generosity. Reap what you sow. A woe, notice in verses 9 through 11, against covetousness. Really getting to the heart desire behind their extorting. Verse 9, woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster, thinking that he can protect himself through all of his extorting that's motivated by his covetous heart. Verse 10, you give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul, for stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the timbers will answer it. These stones and these beams were built, their houses, by the plundering of Lebanon and other nations even. And God's saying those will cry out and testify against your wickedness, covetousness, desiring something that isn't yours. One of the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. We could get that right just in a 
society, goodness would be much better than it is. Uh, covetousness rules the hearts of so many, and they extort and they take advantage of whoever they can to get what they want, what, what isn't theirs. Write down 1 Timothy 6, 6-10. through 10. 1 Timothy 6, 6-10. through 10. You can capture verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. If you're younger in this room, or if you're older, but especially if you're younger, uh, to capture the, the power of that truth that Paul is writing to a younger son of the faith, Timothy. Godliness, you need godliness, you need the Lord, but with contentment. To actually be content with where God has you and what God has given you. Whatever job He's called you to do with the wife He's given, the kids He's given, the, the vehicle He's given, the house He's given, to find contentment in that and to rejoice in it and to serve Him through it. Uh, that is what God calls every man to. Read Ecclesiastes. Godliness with contentment is great gain. When ambition sets into a person's heart and covetousness begins to take root and they desire more than they have, that's when Satan gets his way. That's when temptation is a lot more alluring and when a man leaves and does that which he should not do because he's seeking something that he ought not to be seeking. Godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Godliness with contentment is great gain. A third woe, verses 12 through 14, a row, a row, a row, a woe against ruthlessness. Ruthlessness. Verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city with iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire and the nations weary themselves in vain? He's saying, isn't it of the Lord that their works will never prosper, that, that all that they're doing is being piled into a fire that will consume it all and the nations are really wearying themselves in vain? Now, all the empires that so much might have power effort, energy has gone into creating and we know them only by the history books because they come and they go. And all the riches of, of a person in time past gone and given to the next person. Uh, there, there's a, a, a emptiness, a vanity to the pursuits of this life. He says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, that God in the end wins and God will not only uh, bring judgment upon them, but God will overtake all that they have. And the glory of God and the knowledge of God will be expanded from a sea, the shining sea, to use that terminology, from one part of the world literally to the other uh, part of the world. The glory of God as the waters cover the sea someday uh, will be manifested, will be made known. You know, we, we as humanity can be so brutal and it's all, all of these are intricately tied together. The, the covetous heart that's extorting another person to get what they want, what they're coveting, will go through the most brutal of actions, commit the most brutal of atrocities to get that. Will they not? Human history is filled with it. Wars being fought over it. 
you must move on for the sake of time. Verses 15 through 17, a woe against debauchery. There's a good word for you, debauchery. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised, as not of the Lord. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, and utter utter shame will be on your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, and the plunder of your beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood, and the violence of the land and the city and all who dwell in it. Um, God, God is saying, though you may party, and though you may even force the drink upon another to mock his shame and take advantage of him or her, as the Babylonians would do, making a mockery over those whom they conquered. They're, they're free partying style of life, enjoying the plunder, enjoying the high life as the rich and powerful. And Habakkuk is saying God's going to bring that to an end. And just as you force them to drink and make a mockery of them and, and their shame, this is your shame. God someday will make you drink the cup of His wrath, is what is implied there. The cup of His judgment that will come. And in a light way, we can apply it just to the lifestyle that's all around us where we, so many people live like they want to live, doing what they want to do, as if they are gods over their own, their own life. Um, it, realize someday God's going to correct all that. God, God will, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Woe against debauchery occurring in Babylon that God will someday put an end to. And then a fifth and final woe, verses 18 through 20, a woe against idolatry. The foolishness of idolatry. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it. He's showing just the foolishness of it that a person would would make this idol, and then, knowing it was actually something they created, turn to it in submission and in worship as if it was some higher power over them. To make mute idols, these idols that could not speak. And then here's the woe. Woe to him that says to wood, Awake, and to silent stone arise, it shall teach. Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. How foolish is idolatry. We don't have our, most of us don't have little wood statues covered in gold that we're praying to, but we do have our idols, our money, and our things in this life, materialistic things even, that we come to worship, that we come to trust in above the one true living God. God says it's foolishness. I'm the only God, verse 20, but the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Two verses, having looked to these woes that I want us to focus on. Verse 14 and verse 20. Verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then verse 20, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Just two closing words of admonition. One, verse 14, Live for God's glory and God's kingdom. Habakkuk is calling out the foolishness of the empire of Babylon 
compared with the empire of God, the kingdom of God. He has said in verse 13 that, that God has, in a sense, prepared them uh, even for a fire, as if all that they're doing is just they're, they're feeding the, the fire, it's being burned to ash, all of their their rebellion against God, all of their plundering and the, the empire that they're establishing. He says the nations weary, weary themselves in, in vanity, in vain, in emptiness. But there's a kingdom that's God's that is coming, and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. He's trying to say to the people of God in that day and age who were about to endure all that they were about to go through, realize in the midst of all of this, God has still got a kingdom that He's building. God has promised that there will be a king, a son of David, who will rule and reign eternally over this kingdom. God has promised a new Jerusalem. God has promised that we are His covenant people, and He will not let us die, as, as Habakkuk quoted just a few verses prior in that prayer to the Lord. Habakkuk's writing to let the people of God have a right focus through all the all the bad things, honestly, that they were about to be walking through as the judgment of God comes upon them and Babylon takes over and leads them back captive into the land of Babylon. He's letting them know, listen, through all of this, God's still at work. Through all of this, God has not God isn't forsaking you. God isn't up in heaven too weak to intervene as if he's fighting a battle that he's losing down here and the gods of Babylon are greater. No, he, he's reminding the people of God, no, the glory of God, the glory, the magnificence of the, 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 the knowledge of who he is, it will fill the entirety of the earth. God will accomplish this. This is what it's all heading to. This is where it's all leading to. What a word for us today, even as we might get discouraged and we turn on the news see the direction of everything. Even as you might get discouraged when you look at your life and there's a lot of things that you just don't understand and that you'd rather not be going through, but to realize God is building a kingdom. And the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And the waters cover the sea. We're not called to live for the brokenness of the here and now. And as you age, it gets a little bit more, a little bit more uh, keenly aware in your life because the body starts to fail. Those that you love and those that you've known go to be with the Lord, you realize all the more this life here, the brokenness of the here and now, isn't all that there is. Someday, the glory and the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. That's not this life. That's not in the here and now. We live for them. We're called to focus upon them. As a younger person, it's hard because you think this life lasts forever. And y'all, some of you that have walked a little longer on this earth than I have have constantly told me, and I'm seeing it all the more every day as it being true. Goodness, it goes by quick. I see pictures of my kids even that, you know, it's been four years ago, and I'm looking at them now, and it's seven years ago, and to think when I came here, I didn't have any little young'uns running around. And it's amazing how quickly time starts to pass, and y'all have warned me it only gets quicker. Well, this isn't all that there is. This isn't where our hope is meant to reside. This isn't where our love is supposed to ultimately end. We're, we're supposed to be looking to the city of God that is to come. Live for God's glory. Live for God's kingdom. Secondly, verse 20, submit to God's sovereignty, but the Lord, all the while, through it all, through the might of Babylon and the cruelty and ruthlessness of Babylon, 
The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is reigning on high in the heavens. God is God and there is no other. Therefore, let all the earth keep silence before Him. In the midst of not understanding what God is doing, the book begins with Habakkuk crying out, Lord, how long? And this chapter ends with a proclamation of, Be silent. (laughs) It's It's a command that deals with submission even of our heart to the Lord, that that faith does not lead us to continual questioning of God, although faith, when challenged and hurt and and confused, will turn to the Lord and question. Um, As we turn to the Lord, it's not meant, meant to lead us to a perpetual questioning of God. Our questioning of God is actually meant to lead us to silence before Him. As we remember, as we turn to Him, and as He reveals and confirms upon our heart afresh and anew, I am in my holy temple. As the psalmist put it, God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases. God is still at work through even the things we don't get and we don't understand. And even even to the opposite end, look as if they're going the wrong way and as if wickedness is triumphing. God is still in the heavens. The word at this side of the cross, Jesus is still resurrected from the dead. And nobody's going to put him back there in the grave. He's still reigning and ruling. He's still working his purposes and accomplishing the end to which he's going to bring all things. There's a time that we should just be silent before the Lord as we trust in his sovereign hand. I closed with a story I was reading about, saw a headline on it of a country music artist named Granger Smith. Maybe you've heard his name before. I don't know a whole lot about him. I just know here recently he has left the country music scene altogether and really given his life to Christ in a way where he feels called to the ministry and just really preaching the gospel and um, preaching faith in the Lord through the things in life that we don't understand. And I just read a little bit of his testimony. He's written a book now. Um, had a three-year-old son named River and don't know why, what the situation was, but he, he died. And from what I read of the situation, he sort of had a weak faith in the Lord at that time, an immature faith in the Lord, but it was through fighting the struggle of having his son as a three-year-old pass away that he finally got to the point where he had to just surrender it to the Lord and say, God, I don't know why, I don't understand why, but I know you're God and I know I have to follow you. And he's written a book. Um, I was just pulling it up a moment ago, a book that was named after his son, River, and just the way that God laid this upon his heart, the the title is Like a River, Um, Finding the Faith and Strength to Move Forward After Loss and Heartache. And the whole kind of premise of the book that he wrote is like a river flows from its source. It doesn't flow by its own strength. It doesn't determine its own own flow. It flows where the, the source is, is flowing and from the source that it's flowing from. And he takes that sort of thought and idea and he speaks of how he finally breathed with hope in the Lord by realizing I must flow from my source, from God and His sovereignty in my life, even in the things I don't understand. And it fits right in with this last word in this chapter given through Habakkuk. 
God is in heaven. God is in His holy temple on earth. And sometimes we're called when we come into the presence of God Almighty to just be silent before Him, to flow from the source of His sovereign hand, even in the things we don't understand, especially in the things we don't understand and can't make sense of. And learn just to trust and walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. That God's doing something and I'll follow Him and I'll submit to Him even in the sufferings that I go through. I'll submit to Him and I'll follow Him through it because I know someday the earth will be filled with His glory and with the knowledge of the Lord. But that's what we look for, not, not this, not here and now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to You and I know Lord, in this room there are some going through hard things. Things that we don't understand. Things that we cry out to You, why? And how long? Lord, I pray that You would give them faith to turn to You with their hurt, to turn to You with their questions. And I, I pray that faith would lead them to the place that this book of Habakkuk leads us, to, to trust in You, to live by our faith when our sight can't make sense of what we're going through. Know that You're in the heavens. You're in Your holy temple. You will accomplish all Your purposes even in the things that we don't want to go through, even in the things we don't understand. Lord, may we flow from You, from the source of our strength, the source of our hope, Your your loving kindness and Your sovereign hand over our life. Lord, lead and guide and direct those that are walking through a hard time. Strengthen them in Your faith. Lord, if there be any here that don't know You as Lord and Savior, may they even in their in their hurt and in their suffering, come to You and find You are the only hope. You are the only eternal rest. Lord, we pray they turn to You for salvation even now in this invitation. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.